Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. This is Robbie Martin. Thanks for joining us again, everybody. Thanks so much, guys. We're, we're giving a bunch of updates today on U.S. foreign policy. Uh, be sure to check out our last two episodes. One of them is all about the QAnon insanity going mainstream, Trump dog whistling to the conspiracy theorists and the whole free speech issue. The last episode that we did was a really comprehensive breakdown on the whole uh, kind of mass censorship uh, debate going on on social media. So be sure to check those out. Yeah. A lot of stuff and also appearances Abby and I have done on other podcasts. And if you want to check out what those are so I don't repeat myself, uh, listen to the very beginning of our last episode to find out all the different appearances we've been doing. I saw comedian David Cross last night for people who don't know who he is. He was, uh, you know, the other half of Mr. Show. He was in Arrested Development, uh, the blah, blah, blah. Um, Bob Odenkirk opened for him, which was really hilarious and awesome. Um, but I was. No, he just did like a really small skit kind of pretending that he was sponsoring David. It was hilarious. Yeah. But I was worried about seeing David Cross because I know how strong of a presence Amber Tamlin, his wife, has on Twitter in terms of uh, kind of demonizing the left and the Green Party and DSA and stuff like that. So I just I was worried that he would kind of go off on this big rant about Jill Stein or something like that. Um, But I'm really happy that I ended up seeing him. He was fucking hilarious, um, and he actually opposed his wife like tons of times during the, s- the set. He said that he was a member of the DSA. So he even said the Democrats are horrible, although he did end up saying that we should vote for them in the midterms. But um, two hilarious jokes that I, I wanted to just repeat. I mean, he, he was talking about Trump voters, and people actually would like get up and leave. <laughs> Uh, a couple of people got up and really? left because they were so offended. Yeah. And people in front of us, you could tell they didn't really understand who he was or whatever. And they were just like moaning and groaning the entire time he was That's talking so about weird Trump. That you would go yeah. to a stand up comedy show in LA yeah. and walk out because of offensive Trump jokes. What a weird. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. It was uh it was great. So he he was talking all about Trump voters and stuff and he was like, No, no, no. He's like, I'm not comparing Trump voters to Nazis. He was like, That would be insane. He's like, I'm not doing that at all. He's like, I'm just comparing Trump voters to the Germans who elected Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> And then, and then he was like, he was like, we should just get rid of the Statue of Liberty at this point. He's like, give it back to France. He was like, you know, instead he's like, let's melt it down and make it symbolize something that just represents America a little bit more. He's like, like a giant assault rifle. And he's like, and not just that, he's like one that's spewing blood <laughs> and, and the gushing of the blood in this big fountain of the assault rifle would reflect like how many mass shootings we had that day. So he's like, you know, when immigrants come over and then they just see the viscosity of the blood spewing from the fountain, they're like, man, like that shit's really going today. And they're like, oh, 46 dead, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Like, <laughs> yep. <laughs> it was, it was really, really, really funny. But uh, yeah, I encourage everyone to check out his, uh, the tour if he's playing in your city. I'm happy to hear that he was actually funny because I heard him do a sit down thing, uh, which is called the Unmasked Show with a guy named Bennington who hosts it. And David Cross ended up spending half of the time talking about how much he loved David Hogg and how much he thought he was like amazing. And it was just like, what a weird thing to get so fixated on. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm glad to hear he's funny. I still find him funny when I see him sometimes. Although I do cringe when I see that new Eminem, Carmel Eminem's commercial where he's doing the voice. Um, but he's probably taking home a huge paycheck for that. So good for him. Yeah, I liked because I always say to comedians that I'm friends with, like, how hard is it to 
do comedy in the Trump era. And a lot of them are like, it's really, really hard. Um, but David Cross also talked about that. And he was just like, making fun of Trump is like making fun of a kaleidoscope at any given time. <laughs> it's like, because it just means nothing. He's like, he's like, he did a whole bit on the shithole country comment. And then he's like, three days later, people didn't even know what he was talking about. They're like, what do you mean? <laughs> it's just like, it's just pointless. Yeah, like you can't even probably write material about Trump because he'll say something new like two days right. afterwards. It'll be like way crazier. So yeah, exactly. I mean, Dave Chappelle said something interesting, and I don't really know if I agree with his take, but he was just speaking as a comedian saying that making fun of Trump now, it's almost like you're part of a chorus rather than being a solo artist, a soloist, Mm -hmm. because everybody's doing it. So it therefore becomes harder to find like a unique angle on it. So that's also probably true for a lot of comedians. They don't just want to do what everybody else is doing. Yeah, you know, I've I've noticed that it's really I've been trying to do an art piece about Trump and I just cannot. Yeah. It's just the weirdest. I feel like it's just the same thing with like artists trying to Wait, you mean you didn't just get a pack of magic markers down at uh, Rite Aid and draw like a giant racist caricature of, of Kim Jong Un and Trump of fucking? him sucking Putin's dick. <laughs> Getting raped by Kim Jong Un. Yeah. With it, and I and I and I, I guess hats off to Jim Carrey for doing one finally about the children being bombed in Yemen. But I have mm. to say, the children he depicted on the bus also <laughs> look like his depiction of Kim Jong Un. They're like yellow skinned and stuff. It's just weird. So, I, <laughs> well, I'm happy he at least uh, drew attention to that. Good for yeah, him. Yeah, I mean that's that's good. But I mean, it's uh, after like a year and a half of like nonstop RussiaGate like stupid shit. Right. I mean, it's about time. I mean, it's about time the media is finally starting to talk about Yemen, but we'll we'll go into that in a little bit. Yeah. So you had there were some headlines that we didn't get to get to in the last podcast. Why don't you talk about just the weird direction Q has taken? Oh yeah. So if if you listen to our last podcast, we were talking all about how QAnon, this Trump voter conspiracy, went mainstream. And since then, since we talked about it, Abby described Elon Musk as taking a complete fucking dive. Uh, a couple episodes ago. Well, that's what Q has done. For some reason, whoever's running or whatever people are running the Q account have just decided to populate it, just almost kind of destroy it by just constantly posting very bottom of the barrel old Pizzagate shit. That was stuff that I had seen on Pizzagate like two years ago. It's all about Podesta's art now. It's all about all these celebrities secretly being pedophiles. The red shoes. Including Bill Maher who QAnon posted like three posts in a row about being a pedophile. I mean, one of the funniest things that Q is claiming now is that the guy who crashed the plane in Seattle, uh, that hijacked that plane and just crashed it into the ground, was drawing a Q symbol in the air, and he was part of the plan. He also now says that any celebrity wearing red shoes is secretly part of some kind of elite pedo ring. So he just keeps posting pictures of Hollywood celebrities wearing red shoes. And then I guess the only other thing that's new is Jack Posobiec is now claiming that he's about to blow Q wide open and he knows exactly who's doing it. And he posted a transcript that was obviously faked, a fake chat transcript of people discussing what they're going to post as Q next and how it's like a LARP and how it's fake. Who sent this to you? (laughs) Wow. So he, for some reason, he's trying to debunk QAnon, even though his entire career, which only... 
really has been around for two years. He's got like over 100,000 Twitter followers. Obviously, artificial signal boosting. His entire career is based on Pizzagate. So it's funny to see someone like him trying to debunk QAnon when it's all part of the same fucking garbage disinfo op narrative. Isn't that article from NBC that I sent you talking about how the a poster accidentally posted as Q and they think that that could be the guy the guy who's been like one of his most vociferous defenders and like organizing all the yeah that, and all that, that article stuff. was really fascinating I don't know if it's totally convincing but it's definitely was compelling mm-hmm. in trying to guess who Q is apparently this one article that you're referring to was saying that Q was just like a random conspiracy guy who might have let the cat out of the bag by posting something accidentally as Q when he meant to just post something like a post of himself or something, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's possible. And everyone was like, how are you posting as Q? And then he like deleted it. Yeah, I mean, that's still possible. And if it's just a random guy who's like a conspiracy guy, I still feel like it's multiple people at this point because the tone and the character of the postings will change dramatically. Sometimes they'll actually seem kind of smart like the breadcrumbs that'll be dropping are things about the Christopher Steele dossier and like Moaz Mustafa, you know, the guy from Syrian Emergency Task Force, kind of obscure stuff. And then all of a sudden it'll just veer into pedogate, satanic pedophile shit. And I'm just like, weird. It seems like someone else is posting those kinds of postings. But who the fuck knows? Yeah, talk about what how Roger Stone is just a, a nightmare as well. Well, Roger Stone might be the next person to go down um, in this Mueller investigation, uh, a person that he's uh, best friends with, a DC madam, has been brought in for questioning by the Mueller team. Uh, she was subpoenaed. But what happened was Roger Stone, I guess, um, is trying to raise money for his own legal defense fund because he believes he's going to be indicted or, or something's going to happen to him. Roger Stone is a rat fucker. He's a pathological liar. He said he was poisoned with polonium last year. He said that a black SUV with blacked out windows T-boned him and tried to murder him. Mm -hmm. Um, I called the actual local news outlet that did that story, ran it, and I actually talked to the reporter who worked on it and got the police reports. And there's no evidence whatsoever to what Roger Stone suggested. (laughs) Um, So he's a fucking liar. So on one hand, I do think he deserves to... You know, whatever fate is coming to him karmically, I also don't think the Russian investigation is legitimate. But what he did recently sort of shows how much of a fucking dumb fuck, senile, fuddy-duddy idiot he is. He posted a picture on Instagram that was obviously a parody picture made by someone on the left saying Space Force, showing the Trump administration all in spacesuits. And they were all sort of next to each other. And all the characters, including Stone in this picture, have swastika armbands on. <laughs> Roger Stone is probably just so sloppy and stupid he, that he'll get indicted by Miller if this is any indication. Well, it's crazy because like, instead of retweeting it, he actually posted it himself. He saved the image and then posted it, right? On Instagram. Yeah. So it wasn't just wow. like a re- No, it wasn't a retweet. It was one, one step worse than that. My God. I mean, is this trolling the libs by posting pictures wearing Nazi armbands? I don't know. Trolling the libs by literally becoming Nazis. Yeah, it's some weird shit. But again, if this is any indication of his ability to stay afloat and not get indicted, I I, I think he's probably going to get indicted. Like, if he's acting this dumb 
online. He's so sloppy. Yeah, his, pay, so his sloppy. trail or whatever he's done, if he's committed any crimes, I have a feeling they're going to be very easily found out. And I think he might know that. Um, and that could be why he freaked out at Randy Credico recently, because maybe he knows he's going down. Who knows? I asked Randy Credico why he did that. And he was just like, because he knows that he has dirt that could take him down. You asked Randy Critico why he did what? Why he flipped out on him and like said, I'm going to kill you and stuff. Or you're, you're, you know, you're over. Um, I forget the exact verbiage that he used. But yeah, Randy was just like, because he knows that I have like what actually could take him down. Well, that puts Randy in kind of a dangerous position then. I know. I mean, that means that Mueller might try to get Randy to flip. Or- well, he already got subpoenaed again randy i know so that's that's really that's really intense i mean Mm -hmm. it is so you know and even just trump's own people like i wouldn't be i if i was randy i'd be afraid you know i'd be afraid of mueller and trump's own people at this point yeah roger stone is i mean he is such a dirty trickster i i actually would be terrified to be on his radar because who knows what he is capable of uh, not to mention what we know Trump is already capable of. But yeah, I mean, I wonder if Roger Stone has uh, Trump's face tattooed on his ball sack yet. Yeah, He has Richard Nixon so. on his back. It'd be a very painful tattoo. I hope he did it in exquisite detail. So I just wanted to give a little update here. One of the biggest stories was on Tuesday, August 21st, Manafort, Trump's ex-campaign manager, was charged guilty on eight counts, and the mistrial was declared for the 10 other counts. So in some sense, they do have a valid counter-argument about this idea that if the Mueller investigation was originally set up to investigate Russia collusion, and that Trump's campaign and people in his campaign were collaborating with the Russian government to try and throw the election to him, then this does seem just kind of random. Um, it, It has absolutely nothing to do with collusion, Uh, Manafort was just sort of caught up in this. um, And by being associated with Trump in his campaign, he opened himself up to this sort of scrutiny that otherwise he wouldn't have been open to. So I think that's fair to say. If you remove the politics from it completely, I still think that that talking point is is valid. But what happened was there was sort of a one-two punch on this day of August uh, 21st is... According to the resistance and many of the anti-Trump um, resistance movement out there, this was their best day and the most exciting day ever, and it signaled to them that Trump is going to go to jail, apparently. Um, even though, as I've been saying, is that Mike Pence, if he's not impeached, then he's going to pardon everybody. So this idea that Trump is actually going to be sitting in a jail cell seems like a little bit of a fantasy. Ford pardoned Nixon. This idea that these officials go to jail and will actually sit in rotten jail cell, I think is mostly fantasy. I think Manafort's definitely going to be pardoned. But what we have is a completely unrelated, um, not a conviction happening, but a plea deal that was made where Trump's former lawyer, Michael Cohen, actually uh, pled guilty to eight federal crimes yesterday. Um, And one of the strange things about this is that this actual entanglement that Michael Cohen has gotten himself in isn't actually a direct result of the Mueller investigation, at least on the surface. This was a New York court that charged Michael Cohen. But what's interesting that's happening here is even though it's not 
directly under the Mueller investigation, obviously this is directly related to whatever Mueller is trying to dig and find. That is a very strange thing, and I'm not sure if that's been fully explained yet and how that actually occurred. So let me just go through some of the counts. Um, He pleaded guilty to eight federal crimes, including using his own home equity line of credit to pay off Trump affair partner Stormy Daniels, and he also pled guilty to making unlawful contributions during the summer and fall of 2016. He used American Media Inc., which owns the National Enquirer, to pay off another Trump affair partner, Karen McDougal, former Playboy Playmate. Now, one of these payments was $130,000 um, to Stormy Daniels that we've already heard. Cohen is seemingly flipping on the president admitting that it was done at the candidate's discretion. So in the actual guilty plea, um, it's officially stated without naming Trump directly that the candidate directed Cohen to make these payments. So that's a clear example of campaign finance violation. But unfortunately, for people wanting Trump to go down over this, campaign finance violation penalties usually don't amount in jail time. They amount in fines. And there's been other, you know, examples of campaign violations, finance violations, some of these laws being violated before. The Obama campaign in 2008 had some issues. Um, there have been other candidates over time. I mean, John Edwards obviously violated them to a ridiculous degree. So what Trump did is somewhere in the middle of the spectrum of, like, the the gravity of the violations. In terms of the punishment Legal scholars like Jonathan Turley and others have said that usually what he did might would amount to a fine. For people hoping Trump is going to go to jail over this and that it's a felony and all that stuff, it might not really amount to anything. Now, whether this is going to amount to impeachment is also a little bit of a ludicrous um, leap as well. And just an example of what I'm talking about, Vox.com, a website that I don't care for, they say, quote, Cohen, a longtime aide to Trump, is now on record as saying that Trump engaged in a serious federal crime. In a normal presidency, the Cohen plea would be a moment of severe crisis, possibly the beginning of the end. There is no indication from Republicans in Congress that that's the case now. And just some other weirdness with Michael Cohen and his lawyer, Lanny Davis, who's one of the most sycophantic Team Clinton people ever, and I'll go into that in a second. Just some strange things about him and his relationship with Michael Cohen. So just the fact that he's even representing Michael Cohen is interesting and shows how politicized and how political this is. It's almost like the Clintons want to wage war on Trump by proxy. That's what it appears. It's kind of revenge. I I don't really understand why Michael Cohen hired him as as his lawyer. And, and just some totally blatant lies and, and like more political spin that Lanny Davis is putting out about this is Vox has an article saying, Cohen's lawyer claims the flip happened because of the Trump-Putin meeting. Lanny Davis told MSNBC's Morning Joe that Helsinki was a significant turning point for Cohen. As he worried about the future of our country with the president of the United States aligning with somebody who everybody in his intelligence community said that Putin interfered and tried to help get Trump elected. That shook up Mr. Cohen, Davis added. Um, I'm sorry, but that is completely fucking phony. 100% phony. That is completely unbelievable. 
one of the interesting things that come out of Lanny Davis going all over TV and acting like a fucking phony moron is that he actually trashed the Trump dossier, this Chris Steele dossier. Um, in an interview with NBC's Chuck Todd, um, and this is from Real Clear Politics, Davis said that part about Cohen visiting Prague to meet with the Russians in 2016 never happened. He called it the so-called dossier and said it mentions his client in a false manner. Can you say definitively whether you know if Michael Cohen was ever in Prague? Todd on Wednesday's edition of Meet the Press said, Never, never in Prague, Davis sternly said. Never, ever, Todd pressed. Never, ever in Prague, Davis answered. And the reason, just to let your viewers know what we're talking about, is that that dossier, the so-called dossier, mentions his name 14 times, one of which is a meeting with Russians in Prague 14 times. False. It's interesting because this is another resistance hero who's representing a client who is completely going against Trump now, but is still saying that the dossier itself is bullshit. That might be one of the only true things Lanny Davis is saying so far, actually. Um, and just more examples of who Lanny Davis is and how he's like a weird little snake and a sycophantic Hillary worshiper. Um, he actually emailed Hillary Clinton on Friday, September 17th, 2010. And these were leaked in the, or not leaked, but they were released by the State Department, Hillary's emails. He says, Dear friend Hillary, I hate to email you too much and to ask you for any favors. I feel as though I'm taking advantage of a great privilege that you allow me to send you a personal email every so often. But this is a favor that I fully understand for when a hundred reasons might not be appropriate or comfortable for you to say yes to. Jesus. I wasn't even going to ask you for that reason since I didn't want you to feel badly if you have to say no. But then again, the honest-to-goodness truth is, aside from Carolyn, my four children, and my immediate family, I consider you to be the best friend and the best person I have met in my long life. You know that from the dedication and appreciation of you, I have always felt and expressed to you over four decades. So that is why your comments would mean a lot to me, even in a written statement. Wow. So, back to our regularly scheduled broadcast. And then meanwhile, you have John Bolton giving interviews, trying to change the goalpost. I mean, he's, he's blaming Russia, basically saying they interfered in the election, but that it's not only Russia we need to worry about for the 2018 midterms. It's also China, North Korea, and Iran of course. who are actively meddling. I'm surprised he didn't say Cuba. I know. Well, yeah, because inexplicably, um, as soon as John Bolton's um, on his path into the Trump administration, we get a barrage of these Blatantly phony sounding stories to me. I, I have an audio engineering background. And these stories were saying that American diplomats staying in Cuba were being attacked with some kind of secret sonic weapon. That at first, when these stories came out, it was like, is it Russia doing it? And then it became, is it Cuba doing it? Is it China doing it? And what, it ha what happened was the U.S. government commissioned a study quote-unquote scientific study in March 2018 to figure out what happened that determined the diplomats were assaulted with some kind of sonic weapon. But, in fact, this widely circulated report has come under heavy scrutiny from non-shill, non-U.S. government-funded scientists in the scientific community, actually four very highly respected doctors, and it's all in a new Guardian article, they politely debunk it. They don't say this is like a bullshit study commissioned by the U.S. government to propagandize people, but they basically do. 
I mean, if you read what they're they're actually saying, they're like, yeah, this is a really sloppy report. The findings don't match up with their conclusions. So usually when people use language like that, it means it's a fake report. It was basically... Why have they been trying to push this for so long? I remember hearing about this like years ago. I don't sonic know. Weapons. It's, it's odd. It's so crazy. Yeah, it's really odd. I mean, I, I makes me wonder if we're just using sonic weapons somewhere in the world. Yeah. So like if that ever comes out, it'll be like, oh, well, Cuba was doing it too. So like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, sometimes like, when I see this shit like this, I'm wondering if it's just like to deflect away from like horrible shit we're already doing. Yeah, no, of course. I would not put it past the U.S. government. Yeah, like we probably just like blew some fucking child's eardrums out with like a sonic weapon. Nobody knows about it yet. Yeah, yeah. Tom Perez leading the DNC reversal on the ban on fossil fuel donations is just another hilarious example of just how much the DNC panders to corporations. And this is not just them being spineless. This is what they exist to do. Uh, They institutionalize this like this uh, acquiescence to corporations and because they are corporate shills themselves. So this isn't just people who really want to do the right thing. (laughs) Like they literally exist to lose at this point. And so you had Tom Perez voting to reverse this only two month decision uh, to not take political contributions from fossil fuel industry. And, you know, it just reminds me of Obama I mean, Obama opening Arctic drilling twice before eventually banning it toward the end of his administration, which really meant nothing because, of course, Trump immediately opened it again, delaying the Keystone XL pipeline decision for months. Meanwhile, all of the brutality at Standing Rock, these unarmed uh, Native American protesters, these water protectors just getting brutalized, someone's like arm or leg got, you know, blown off by by police. He expanded drilling. He lobbied for fracking. And I think during his administration, he oversaw a huge boom in gas and oil production. So, you know, this is just another example of the Democrats couching themselves in that rhetoric for the people. Their new slogan for the midterms is literally for the people uh, and whatnot. But then they hideously stabbed their base in the back, you know, to grovel to these corporations. So, just another example in a long list of examples of the Democrats doing this again and again. Yeah. Pretty, um, I mean, they talk out both sides of their mouth. They're doing an amazing job right now of doing that. I mean, isn't Tom Perez the one that said Ocasio-Cortez is the future of the Democratic Party? Yep. Too? But then he'll run away from Amy Goodman when she's like, do you actually support the policies that she's... Yeah, 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 yeah. So they're really good at the. I don't want to say good. They're just like really doing it a lot right now for some reason. They just and it just shows how schizophrenic the. It 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 just really goes to show that they are completely fucking unprepared for the twenty twenty election. They're gonna get trounced like motherfuckers. Yeah, Yeah, and this whole like jobs argument. It's like the solar industry alone employs more people than coal, oil, and gas combined. And not to mention that we're just at the point of the cataclysmic climate crisis that we should be actually keeping all natural gas and oil in the ground. That's uh-huh. literally where we need to be if we want to, you know, in any sort of semblance of reversing this trend. Yeah. Um, or remedying it in, in some way. And I just can't even fathom. I mean, if people are upset and, you know, demonizing minorities and immigrants now, I mean, the climate crisis is going to cause so much more refugees. It's going to be just a really, really crazy future. And of course, none of these people are going to link it back to 
us or our policies or, you know, how we're leading Pentagon being the world's largest polluter and consumer of oil. And you Uh just had, I think, fuck, someone in the Trump administration basically just said all the fires going on in California and and everywhere else has nothing to do with climate change. It's actually being exacerbated by radical environmentalists. Oh, yeah. Because of the Endangered Species Act and shit like that. I saw the talking points being pushed out on Fox News super early on before the Trump administration ever said anything where they just kept having guest after guest on to bring up this Endangered Species Act, saying that like these spotted owls are the reason why all these fires are happening because they can't cut down the trees. And it's just like, what a fucking <laughs> crazy ass, like obviously like corporately paid talking point. Are you kidding me? Oh my God. And the sad part is a lot of people across the country will just believe it, you know, because oh, they're yeah, morons and they don't understand yeah. that corporations like pay people to say shit like this. So they don't understand that oil corporations literally subsidize Fox News. Yeah. Um, so let's move on to, to some updates with our foreign policy, uh, starting with Israel. Now, the Great March of Return is still going on. Every Friday, tens of thousands of people are still going to the border fence. Um, actually, it's not border fence. It's just a prison fence uh, separating Gazans from their actual homes that they were expelled from violently decades ago. So 20,000 people came out this last Friday, uh, a few hundred meters away from the prison fence. Of course, Israeli forces opened fire on the group again, like they do every single week. This time they killed at least two people and wounded over 270, 40 with live ammo, according to the Gaza Health Ministry. So just to sum it up, more than 170 unarmed Palestinians have been killed just since the Great March of Return. And um, we mentioned this in the last podcast, but Wikipedia's Jimmy Wales, this kind of unabashed pro-Israel, pro-apartheid guy who runs Wikipedia, demanded Corbyn to respond to those rockets firing from Gaza. Those rockets uh, were in the midst of Israel repeatedly bombing the Gaza Strip. In these bombing strikes, they killed three overnight, including a pregnant woman and her 18-month-old baby daughter. So where's Jimmy Wales demanding any sort of accountability for that? Jesus Christ. It's disgusting, dude. And then you have Israel's Ministry of Defense releasing these images of its sea barrier. Uh, we've talked about before that, you know, Gaza, it seems to be one of the only regions in the entire world where you literally can't even flee via boat if you are a refugee because you'll get executed or assassinated by Israeli forces. So you actually get punished. Uh, They have like a naval blockade already that if fishermen get regularly shot for just going too far. So this giant sea barrier is just getting added to the barrier that already exists, but it's going to further blockade the besieged strip. And it's going to consist of three security layers, an underwater base, a 50-meter-wide sea-level platform made out of armored stone, and on top of that, a 6-meter-high barbed wire fence for an additional security measure. So it's just Israel being like, yep, we're just uh, we're really excited about preventing Hamas terrorist attacks from reaching the homeland. Um, meanwhile, you have people like Avi Mayer posting videos of people screaming when the rockets were being launched uh, you know, from the settlement that's literally built next to Gaza. This is the settlement, uh, Sederat, I think, that, you know, they cheer on the bombing. Um, in this one Guardian article I read that was, like, very milquetoast, at the very end of it, they were like, yeah, like, they kept saying, are you leftists, like, to Guardian reporters who were just there reporting on it. They said that, they, that it got super tense and, like, really crazy, and they just had to flee because these people on the Hill all of a sudden were like, are you leftists? Like, who are you? 
you know, you know how they do uh, when they don't want people to be recording mm -hmm. uh, what's going on. So it's the whole death to leftists, death, death to Arabs, death to the videographers. So this is the the settlement that's there. And then you have Robert Mackey, the biggest fucking lackey douche who works for The Intercept, oddly enough. Um, he released an article the other day basically absolving the Israeli military from killing those four little boys on the Gaza beach back in two, oh, 2014. It was a mistake, he, said. he said it was a tragic mistake and that they were killed by drones that thought they were chasing Hamas militants. So Mackie the Lackey here uh, just clearly just reprints, regurgitates an IDF press release that he was handed by someone within the IDF. I mean, making it seem like it was this giant scoop that a secret Israeli report reveals how these boys were really killed. But unfortunately, what he does, again, just repeating just sheer IDF propaganda. Um, so 90% of the article is literally just repeating IDF propaganda over and over and over again, um, making it seem like the IDF doesn't intentionally kill children on a near daily basis. We're talking about dozens of kids who have been literally assassinated via Israeli snipers. Again, they are putting these children through the scopes of these sniper rifles and taking the shot. Um, that, that's happening. And we already know that that's also being confirmed by generals. They have to confirm every kill with higher ups. And they've talked about this over and over again. I'm skeptical of this. I'm really skeptical of this. I mean, how could you not know these very basic facts? And not to mention that over 500 kids during 2014, during just that summer assault on the Gaza Strip, were murdered by Israeli forces. So, you know, at the very end of this article, he just throws in something from the Bakker boys family saying they don't believe the Israeli military. Yeah, no fucking shit. Um, so why do you, Mackie? God, he's just so awful. Just every time the U.S. Uh, intelligence community or Israeli intelligence community just wants to throw out some propaganda, you can really depend on Robert Mackie from The Intercept to just um, repeat it. Just having a platform right there for the U.S. government and its allies to foment and foster whatever the hell they want. So good job, Robert, you fucking shill. The Israeli military had already cleared itself of culpability. They already called this a tragic mistake when they investigated themselves back in 2015. So the story really isn't new. It just seems like, um, you know, they wanted to just absolve them and be like, yeah, they're actually, it was, it was via drone and making it seem like the drone thing is such a big story. Israeli or Palestinians in Gaza know that drones are being used. This has been a known thing for a very long time. There's drones constantly flying overhead all throughout the Gaza Strip. And they use the Gaza Strip as a testing ground for all of this military equipment. Just new military equipment and technology. We know that Israel is one of the leading arms manufacturers in the world. And they constantly use the besieged Gaza Strip to test these products. They even use them at arms expos and say, um, you know, tested and battle approved for just bombing relentlessly the Gaza Strip with this shit. So this is not new. The Israeli military has already absolved itself, but good job, Robert, for following up and also just, uh, you know, making it seem like they're even further absolved and making it seem like they actually don't want to kill children, which they actually do. <laughs> That's fucking insane. It's really, really and the intercept just crazy. Prints it. I mean, yeah, it, it just un insane that this just keeps happening and the world just keeps turning a blind eye to it. Yeah, and we're not even talking about these protests anymore. It's like, I'm sorry, is this ongoing massacre of unarmed protesters not newsworthy anymore? Like, even leftist media is just, like, kind of ignoring the fact that this is continuing on a weekly basis and just the bodies keep piling up.
Yeah, I mean, Herat's uh, just reported that, and and let me let me actually so I make sure I don't get this wrong. It's the Hebrew version, so I don't know I, the translation might not be perfect, but apparently there's a Hebrew article going in Herat's right now saying that the bombing of Gaza civilians is because of a collective punishment. It's done punitively on purpose. So, yes. I mean, that that's widely known to people like me and Abby that's been known for a long time. But for some reason, a lot of people don't, they, they seem unwilling to believe this type of stuff happens, that the Israeli government's willing to just murder civilians as punishment. But this is clearly happening and you really should um, should look into it. And, and stop believing in IDF propaganda. Yeah, it's the same belief, that basic belief that Israel has good intentions, just like America has good intentions. So just our allies mm-hmm. all have good intentions, um, and Hamas must be instigating all of this. Yeah. And Israel only responds when provoked. That's literally just like this conventional wisdom that is just so false, but it's stuck. Uh, and I don't know why, especially given what, is coming out on a daily basis about Israel. It's really hard to hide the facts and the truth, even if you are just ingesting mainstream media. So it is, yeah. Well, as Krauthammer said, he was mad at the IDF during the 50 day war. He was mad at the IDF during that time period because they were telegenically killing Palestinians. Um, and that's why he was mad. So yeah, there's a certain point, tipping point, where it's like they can't hide this stuff from the rest of the world, but it seems like they don't even give a fuck. So that's, I mean, it's really, really disturbing when you think that they don't even care that people know they're murdering civilians as a punitive measure. Like, that's how brazen they are. Krautheimer was not telegenic at all. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so Ronnie Barkin is an amazing Israeli-born anti Zionist activist. He is living in the heart of apartheid. He is an excellent commentator. I encourage everyone to follow his Twitter and support his work. He did a really good thread that I'm going to post on the timeline just about what we're missing about that Jewish nation state law that was just passed that are really noteworthy. So he he goes on to say, you know, this nation state law, it didn't just sanction discrimination. He said, that's just a byproduct of it. He said, Yes, uh, it's definitely racist. He said that's not the issue as well. He said, and also the downgrading the status of Arabic as no longer the official language is really crazy. He said, but that's not necessarily what the crux of this is either. He said, there's one reason why this law is so needed by the right-wing government, and that reason lays bare the only difference that exists between the right-wing and the left, because he always calls out the left as you know just as racist and supremacist, but implicitly so. And he says, Article 1C of the law states the following, the realization of the right to national self-determination in the state of Israel is unique to the Jewish people, and that's what this law is about. So he says, while the so-called left in Israel, the implicit supremacists, desperately need to establish this kind of faux notion of a Palestinian state, or this faux notion of autonomy on the Palestinians in order to maintain their cherished racially pure state, by separating from as many Palestinians as possible, the right wing, the explicit supremacists, have it much easier. And he says, all that the honest supremacists need is to make sure that no matter what the demographics look like, they and only they will continue to be the masters of the land. So he's saying that this framework kind of gives the rights of the master race, the ethnic group, enshrining with this legal distinction which puts in place for the very purpose between national and citizenship rights, 
He says the Jewish nation state bill simply says we do not need to care about demographics any longer once our basic law determines that we are the only masters of the entire land. So, yeah, it is interesting that people are like, you know, this is it's only about downgrading the the language and stuff like that. But he said this is just another way to further enshrine themselves without needing to worry about uh, semantics Further cementing apartheid, further cementing discrimination. Uh, Ronnie Barkin's great, um, definitely Miko Pilat is another voice, uh, Israeli born, to follow on these matters. And, and they can break down all of these things going on uh, much better than I can. Yeah, check out, check out Ronnie Barkin for sure. Um, <clears throat> I guess a little unrelated to it, but not completely, is um, what the Trump administration is doing with Iran right now which is more saber-rattling, more threats of more sanctions. Trump is bragging about putting the most crippling sanctions on Iran ever, um, when in reality, what all he's done so far is just roll back the previous state of sanctions that existed before the Iran deal. And the LA Times said that the sanctions that were in place before the deal was struck in 2015 between Iran and six other nations, the United States, Britain, China, France, Germany, and Russia. Um, anyone trading with Iran in violation of the sanctions risk being barred from the U.S. financial system and losing access to dollars. So August 7th is when these sanctions came back into place. Iran's purchase of U.S. currency is banned. Iran's trade in gold and precious metals and Iran's ability to purchase auto parts, commercial aircraft, and related services. Wow. And on November 5th, apparently these are slightly different from the previous ones, but these are the sanctions that will go into place on the 5th. It says, sale of Iranian oil and petroleum products on the world market. Transactions with Iranian banks will not be allowed. Operations of Iranian ports and shipping companies. The first phase blocks Iran from purchasing U.S. dollars. The second phase is expected to deliver more pain because it targets oil exports, which account for one-fifth of Iran's economy. But the effect was felt even before the first phase went into place this month, it says in the LA Times. And there are a lot of signs in Iran of them sort of trying to get ahead of these sanctions by a lot of stores being closed. A lot of people are temporarily closing their businesses, sort of just waiting to see what kind of impact it's going to have. So it's already having a pretty drastic impact on their economy. The other weird news that's coming out of the Trump administration in terms of like Iranian regime change plans is Pompeo in the State Department has created what the Jerusalem Post described as an elite team. I'm just going to read from the Jerusalem Post. This elite team at the State Department on Iran policy, hoping to streamline execution of its newly aggressive strategy towards the Islamic Republic, U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said the team will be responsible with, quote, directing, reviewing, and coordinating all aspects of the State Department's Iran-related activity, reporting directly to him. Our hope is that one day soon we can make a new agreement with Iran, but we must see major changes, Pompeo said. Any idea who's on the elite team? Basically, the guy who's directly managing this elite team who reports to Pompeo is, of course, a former George W. Bush official. Oh. Oh. And on Wikipedia, it says during mm. the George W. Bush administration, Brian Hook, this is his name, sorry, I didn't say his name, Hook served on Assistant Secretary of State for International Organizational Affairs during George W. Bush administration. He was a senior advisor to U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, meaning that he was advisor to John Bolton. 
He was special assistant to the president for his policy in the White House of Chief of Staff's office. So basically, he was working directly with John Bolton in the George W. Bush administration, and now he's in charge of this elite team on Iran in the U.S. State Department. So not a good sign of things to come. And I'm sure the Iranian government is paying very close attention because of any country out there, they probably are very aware of the neocons and these George W. Bush forces, perhaps more more than any other country is. I'm sure they're very aware of who this guy is, and I'm sure they're not happy about this. We'll just have to see what happens. But Trump is offering, extending an olive branch, apparently, and offering some kind of deal with them, a new one. He wants to do his own deal. So we'll have to see what the hell that turns into. It's just so disgusting. Uh, Iran poses zero threat to us. They're just trying to survive. Uh, We've just economically debilitated their country uh, for no reason. They've completely adhered to this international agreement, and it's really all U.S. aggression. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Institute for the Study of War, um, I saw them going on Fox News a few days ago saying, again, echoing the rhetoric the Trump administration puts out that Iran is the biggest state sponsor of terror in the world. And they choose to do things through proxies. The Institute for the Study of War said that? That's amazing. Yeah. So, Dude, this has been debunked so much. I know, but see, we've become we. They're bringing back the George W. Bush era of Iran war propaganda, which was that all of the like rebels and insurgents in Iraq are funded by Iran. Do you remember that? Yes. The Revolutionary Guard was secretly funding and shipping weapons into Iraq. I mean, that was the narrative back then. It was never really proven. It was mostly hyperbole. But there's trotting back out an old narrative and making it seem like everything is is Iran's master plan. This all has to do with Saudi Arabia and, and Yemen, too. I mean, the yeah, entire absolutely. Iran. absolutely. The Houthis. I mean, that's the, the scapegoating of that. Yeah, I mean, WikiLeaks cables found Hillary Clinton even admitting Uh, years ago that, quote, donors in Saudi Arabia constitute the most significant source of funding to Sunni terrorist groups worldwide to the tune of $100 billion, despite it allegedly being our closest ally to the war on terror. Uh, This is something that's extremely obvious. Um, You can start with 9-11. You can go on and on and on. I mean, the Mujahideen, 9-11. I mean, all of the shit that's going on in Yemen right now, it's all to allegedly counter the largest funder of terrorism worldwide, which they claim is Iran, which is just laughably untrue. I mean, what's going on in Yemen right now is you could actually call it genocide based on how many people are set to starve to death by the end of this year if they're not helped. It's virtually impossible to get journalists in unless they're smuggled. You know, people probably saw that bizarre tweet from an official Saudi account that was described as the, quote, messaging arm of Saudi Arabia threatening Canada with a 9-11 style attack in Toronto. There was that picture of a plane flying into the cityscape with the caption, sticking one's nose where it doesn't belong. As the Arabic saying goes, he who interferes with what doesn't concern him finds what doesn't please him. I was stunned when I saw that. I was like, damn, like the gloves are totally off with Saudi Arabia. They do not give a shit. Completely brazen. You know, they took down the tweet and then actually reposted it just without the infographic. I was just really curious of how this all happened, like what what this feud is between Canada and, and Saudi. And it's just really strange. And it really shows you how much control 
Saudi Arabia really has over this narrative. Um, it all started August 2nd when Canada's foreign minister, uh, Christia Freeland, just innocuously like tweeted something about a Saudi human rights activist that was in prison. She said, I'm very alarmed to learn that Samar Badawi, Raif Badawi's sister, has been imprisoned. Canada stands together with the Badawi family, and we continue to call strongly for the release of both Raif and Samar Badawi. So very just like not really a big deal. You know, you're just kind of trying to acquiesce to like human rights activists that have been lobbying the Canadian government who sells billions of dollars in weapons also to Saudi Arabia and also assists with this genocidal campaign against Yemen. So yeah, it just seemed like just a token gesture. Well, the way that Saudi Arabia responded is stunning. First, they threatened a 9-11 style terrorist attack to Toronto. Then they canceled all trade and investment with Canada, they expelled Canada's ambassador, recalled its own ambassador, and they also described this mild criticism of the uh, that the Canadian government issued as quote blatant interference in the kingdom's domestic affairs. <laughs> now, Samar Badawi was, you know, she was a human rights activist that basically was imprisoned over that Saudi male guardianship system that females are essentially enslaved to male masters. Um, and you know, this is, this was right before the Saudi led coalition struck that school bus, you know, on top of, uh, bombing civilian infrastructure, hospitals, weddings, funerals, just constantly just, uh, rivers of blood constantly flowing through the streets of Yemen from these U S issued bombs. They struck a school bus. And I think this was just incredible because it was literally a bus full of children, (laughs) like, it was kind of similar to the refugee boat. It was just like there's no, there's just no words for this kind of atrocity and war crime. Um, and they struck the school bus, left 51 dead, most of them children, injuring 80 other people. And of course, the bomb used to commit the massacre was a U.S.-made Raytheon Mark 82 general purpose freefall bomb. Saudi Arabia responded to all the criticism. They were like, this is a legitimate military target. And that's literally all they have to say. So oddly, Canada was totally silent about that. They, you know, they just wanted to issue that one thing about this, this uh, human rights activist, but they were totally silent about bombing a fucking school bus full of kids with Western allies, bombs and support. Um, You know, and then, and then on the contrary, Canada's prime minister, Justin Trudeau, went out after this whole diplomatic row started and he was like, Canada will continue to engage with Saudi Arabia and he even criticized his own government for its approach. Jesus. Yeah. I, Canada has been selling Saudi Arabia weapons for, I mean, probably decades. Definitely. Yeah, definitely back to the 80s. They've been selling weapons just back in 2014. They had a $15 billion contract for at least 900 armored vehicles to the Saudi National Guard. Um, This was around the same time that Saudi Arabia was actually crushing the Bahraini uprising from the Arab Spring. We always wonder, why didn't we hear about an Arab Spring in Saudi Arabia? Did it not happen? No, it definitely happened. And I'm going to get into that in a second of what they've been doing to crush actually rebellion and dissent in their own country. Um, Even weirder, Robbie, a story came out just like us, you know, the story came out about backing Al-Qaeda and, and affiliates of Al-Qaeda in Syria with weapons and intelligence and support. Um, it just came out that the U.S. is now openly working with and backing the very same group it claims to have been bombing Yemen for since the beginning of the war on terror and under the authorization of AUMF. 
Um, special forces are on the ground in Yemen right now. Basically, yeah, we're working with Al Qaeda in Yemen. Is the story? Um, Do you know which actual <laughs> offshoot group is it? Is it like so? Is it not so, Al Nusra? It's like a different. No, group? it's literally Al Qaeda fighters. Um, the same, like the the same group that we were allegedly like drone bombing the last decade. Um, Common Dreams says, as the United States continues to fuel Yemen's worsening humanitarian crisis and boasts that it's targeting Al Qaeda and the impoverished nation with airstrikes, a new AP report reveals that U.S. and U.K.-backed Saudi coalition waging a bombing campaign there is recruiting al-Qaeda fighters to join its ranks and paying off the extremists to leave areas. Uh, soon after the Saudi-led coalition began a key partner, began its bombing campaign against the Houthi rebels in 2015, it was reported that al-Qaeda militants were fighting on the same side as the Saudi militia to defeat the Houthis. So what do you know? We all of a sudden used that to our advantage and started paying them off, working with them, because really it is all about Iran. It's not about Al-Qaeda. Um, and we know that Western allies in the U.S. empire regularly work with Al-Qaeda in order to achieve its foreign policy objectives. So this new AP investigation reveals that the coalition has made, quote, secret deals with Al-Qaeda fighters, paying them off to leave key cities and towns, letting others retreat with weapons, equipment, wads of looted cash, end quote. Beyond that, the, quote, coalition-backed militias actively recruit al-Qaeda militants, um, AP found based on the on-the-ground reporting, including several interviews with al-Qaeda, tribal mediators, Yemeni security officials, and more. I mean, it's just particularly amazing considering this is literally why we've justified being in Yemen. And it also... And, uh, it also yeah. explains why we haven't taken out Zahawari either. Yeah. Because if we took out the actual head of Al-Qaeda, the guy who's supposed to be in charge of everything, then all these fighters and people who are loyal to and affiliated with Al-Qaeda would join other groups and make it more complicated for us. So in a way, it kind of explains like why that hasn't been a priority for us, because it's useful, apparently, to keep yeah. the organizational structure somewhat intact. It's very yep. biz- just very bizarre. Uh, the Pentagon spokesperson, Colonel Rob Manning, replied to this investigation, and he said, this is patently false. We do not pay al-Qaeda. We kill al-Qaeda. <laughs> of course, and- that's what a Trump, a Trump Pentagon spokesperson is going to say. I right. just wanted to j- just jump in really quick and say that Tim Chirac took a screenshot of a CNN report from August uh, 17th um, that showed civilian casualties strike zones in Yemen on a map. And interestingly, they actually list on the map the bombs that were what and what defense companies made them. It actually says on this map, I'm looking at it right now, it says Sada, unknown casualties, Lockheed Martin General Dynamics, Mastaba, 97 civilian casualties, Raytheon, Sana, 155 civilian casualties, Raytheon. And Tim makes a good point. He's like, this should be the standard in war reporting. To right. show what who's what companies bombs are killing people, that's a very remarkable that CNN would show this at all. Maybe it was yeah, a mistake. A rare instance of truth eking yeah. out on CNN. Who was the reporter? Was it? I don't know. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's. But if you go to Tim Chirac's Twitter page right now, you can you can find it. We'll post the link on the timeline. Unbelievable. Yeah, of course it should be the standard. Uh, but again, these defense contractors subsidize corporate media and definitely CNN. And that's amazing that this was able to come out on there. Yeah. Uh, I, I just found out also for the first time that special forces are on the ground there. Actually, well, wait, this is so crazy. Me, I just wanted to yeah. say really quick. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. the actual headline on CNN. It says bomb that killed 40 children in Yemen was supplied by the U.S. 
So that the framing of that story explains it. They're they're going hard on CNN on on this particular incident. I just thought that's that's noteworthy in and of itself that they would even it, frame it like that. But I thought that the that Yemeni kids didn't bring ratings in, according to Chris Hayes. Yeah, or, or but Syrian kids do. Yeah. Global warming doesn't. Yeah, it makes no. It's a, it's a fucking joke. Palpable ratings killer. Bummer, dude. Uh, so sh- I just found out that special forces are actually on the ground there. U.S. special forces. They are doing some shocking things. They're commanding indigenous forces to be anti-Houthi and tactical operations. Yeah. So that's crazy. Even if there are just like a dozen special forces there, so like it might not be that big of a story to people, but that's precisely why there are so few because they train the indigenous forces, just like the School of Americas where we can just like kind of um, like have a step between us and the army that's working on our behalf, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's what's happening there. And they're also doing something called target acquisition where they go around with like laser guns to actually help Saudi guide the missile targets. That's insane. Um, And this is on top of the Cambridge Analytica stuff that came out in the Gray Zone project that was like conducting a surveillance operation using the psychological profiling, the infiltration of foreign operatives into indigenous communities through unwitting local partners, basically deceiving people through psyops. And that's just one thing that we know about. So there's so many things going on in Yemen right now. Um, and the U.S. is so much more complicit than just like supporting Saudi Arabia as an ally in the war on terror. Like we are so instrumental in that genocidal bombing campaign. It's not even funny. Um, and here's this. This just was reprehensible. Watching Democracy Now!, this woman named Maggie Michael she was a reporter for the Associated Press. She's written for the Times of Israel. She apparently was one of the AP reporters to break this story about the U.S. working with Al-Qaeda. So, of course, I watched it with great interest. I was like, oh, cool. What is, you know, what is this report? I want to hear from the journalist who broke this story. And mm. I was really, really shocked to hear her basically absolve Saudi Arabia with this bombing of these kids in a school bus. And I'm going to read this quote, and I want you to comment on it, Robbie, because it really was one of the most shocking things. And for Amy to not actually push back on this was equally shocking. So Amy I didn't actually asks watch her, the interview itself. I just read oh, the transcript. So, the, yeah. so she just lets her say all this shit? Yeah, yeah. I mean, why don't you read, read it? It's nuts. Oh, man. Okay. Um, so what, what Maggie Michael said on, on Democracy Now! is she said... What is very hard to determine in Yemen is what the children were doing. We worked on covering Yemen since 2015. We know what the Saudi-led coalition has bombed civilian targets all the time, markets, hospitals, schools. This is not a surprise. But we also know that the Houthis are actively recruiting the children, and then they send them to the front lines. And the question marks here are that are not answered yet. What were the children doing at the time? There are no schools right now in Yemen. There are no buses carrying children from one school to the house. This is a luxury. The children were visiting a cemetery, and that is where they promote the whole notion of jihad and martyrism. So I mean, on one hand, the Saudi-led coalition is blamed for killing the civilians, and this has been ongoing without any, no question about it. But at the same time, we have to look at the other side of the picture and see what the Houthis were doing with the children. Wow, that sounds an awful fucking lot like IDF human shield propaganda right there. Wow. But on the other hand, a lot of people put out this type of bullshit propaganda. Um, In fact, in hyper-normalization, 
um, the Adam Curtis movie that that I believe has a lot of actual anti-Iran Islamophobic rhetoric embedded into it, claims that during the Iran and Iraq war, Iran sent out thousands of people to the front lines of the war with no weapons as human shields, like, like young teen men to just kill themselves. When in actuality, the only evidence that that ever happened is an imam in Iran bragging about it. That's the only, I mean, that was literally the only documentation I can find. So if that's what we take at face value, the words of these like imams who have their own propaganda to put out, that's pretty weird. So I, I'm just astonished that this is on Democracy Now!, but I mean, Democracy Now! has been awful on all issues having to do with Syria, Ukraine, uh, Russia for the past over two years. It's really gone downhill. So I don't know if shocked is the right word, but it really is disgusting that this would be on Democracy Now. Yeah, I guess I was shocked because it's really hard to actually paint Saudi as not the complete perpetrator of this massacre by being like, well, let's talk about what the kids were doing. Yeah, I mean, even the CNN story I just pulled up, Abby, is taking a way more like anti-imperialist slant on it. So to have, to, to the contrast of Democracy Now! coming up with that weird... Kind of something you would almost hear on Fox News. It's it is shocking. I mean, it's it is really really crazy for Amy to not challenge her and be like, "Hold on, um, it doesn't matter what the children were doing. They were massacred. They were in a school bus. They had backpacks." Yeah, what, uh, what is she even implying that they like stay? They made it look like they were children going to school in a school bus, and then just like put it right under the bomb, like. Even if you want, even if the, what she's saying is that they were human shields, like that, it doesn't even make sense. No, human it shields make sense. for fucking what? Right. Like, like, how did they use? I mean, it, it doesn't even make sense what she's yeah, saying. Yeah, well, Robbie, she said they were on their way to visit a cemetery, which is the whole notion of jihad and martyrism. What a weird statement to so connect because, these dots. So, like, even if that's true, so that means that, that that it's that it's actually not it's okay that they were bombed because they weren't actually going to school. I don't even understand what that fucking means. We have to look at both sides of the story, Robbie. We got to ask what the Houthis did to make them, the children bombed. This is precisely how you, you, you know, get these accolades as a journalist is when you uh, dare to ask those questions. Those really important questions. Luckily, there was another guest on who was like, I need to respond to the insane thing your guest just said. And she, was, and she kind of just said what we were saying. She's like, there's no um, facts behind what you're saying at all. The Saudi bus attack uh, that killed, God, dozens of children. It's just the most horrifying thing ever. Well, just a week after that, um, another Saudi-led coalition airstrike in Yemen killed another 22 children and four women. The victims were fleeing, fighting in this district. Um, their vehicle was hit. And a separate airstrike the same day killed four children. So this is just a couple of weeks after a strike on a bus killed over 40 kids. Over 40 kids. Um, the Saudi-led coalition at the, at the time of this article didn't even condemn it or even comment on the strikes. And we know that there's going to be no accountability at all. So amazing. I mean, we know that they already said the actions bombing the school bus was legitimate. So we can only assume what they're going to say about this. I mean, this is probably going to be further legitimized by being like, well, the Houthis were fighting in the region. So, you know, they literally bomb markets, schools, hospitals, and constantly bomb residential areas with just complete impunity and callousness, callous disregard for human life. This is just a a really shocking trend. And the fact that the U.S. is on the ground with this tactical warfare 
It's really quite astounding. We did a really comprehensive Empire Files documentary on the real House of Saad, and it's just nuts. I mean, what they've done to suppress dissent, um, and we never hear about any of these facts. 20% of the population lives in abject poverty, and this is aside from this kafala system where these foreign workers are recruited to these Gulf Arab states through this like slave sponsorship system where they're legally bound to their employers, uh, literally like a, a modern-day slavery. Uh, they're stripped of their passports upon arrival. They're denied money, mobility, family contact, and millions of immigrants live like this in this indentured servitude, trapped in the houses. We've talked to people who, who experience this. And if they flee, they're subject to arrest. There's like slave posters um, for runaway slaves and stuff and bounties on their heads. Um, and then if you look at just the history of how the U.S. and Saudi Arabia forged this undying alliance, uh, just like Israel, you know, you wonder how did this happen? Um, it all goes back to just the oil, of course. I mean, in the post-World War I feeding frenzy of empires, I mean, they, they understood the value of Saudi Arabia. Chevron, the company known today as Chevron, staked the initial claim to the oil fields in Saudi Arabia in 1933. In '43, President Roosevelt declared, quote, the defense of Saudi Arabia is vital to the defense of the U.S. And so this oil for protection deal was made back then, and they basically secured this U.S. air and naval base in Saudi Arabia for this unchallenged access to their oil. Um, 1973, that's when things came to a head. Saudi Arabia um, kind of staged this oil embargo over Palestine, and it greatly affected the U.S., but the Nixon administration basically was able to convince the royal family that the real threat was not Israel, it was communism, and to forge this, this bigger alliance to snuff out communism from the world. That was a point in time that was called the most dramatic transfer of wealth in human history, where this oil boom um, exploded and they agreed to help uh, the U.S. shape the world. That's when they uh, you know, were the biggest financer of the Mujahideen's reign of terror in Afghanistan, um, allied with the U.S. in that war. And just a really quick uh, statement about their history of just crushing rebellion in a really brutal way, on top of just their insane beheading and executions in public for things like sorcery, uh, you know, absurd things like that, um, and for being gay and God knows what else, and for just doing journalism. <laughs> um, Aramco workers uh, that were oil workers, they went on strike and they were swiftly executed. This is the beginning of when... Uh, they were they were still developing their oil infrastructure. After the Iranian people overthrew their dictatorship, of course, that was another uh, big moment for the U.S. to intervene in Iran. Well, back in Saudi Arabia, when this happened, hundreds were inspired by that. They tried to seize the Grand Mosque. They called for the overthrow of the kingdom. And what did the Saudi military do as a response? They brought 60 organizers from that rebellion back to their hometowns and beheaded all of them in front of their families. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And then fast forward to the Arab Spring, not only did they crush the Bahraini uprising, but I mean, journalism was just banned straight up during the Arab Spring. Organizers were targeted, chased. I mean, it's just unbelievable what happened. There's footage that's just harrowing of, of people being shot at. Tons of civilians died there. We just never hear about it there. And it just they just act like, oh, nothing really happened in Saudi Arabia. And since the Arab Spring, arms sales have quadrupled. 
Isn't that amazing? So instead of, you know, penalizing this country for doing all of these horrible things, um, we've actually rewarded them lavishly. Uh, they also joined the bombing campaigns in Syria and Iraq, and they're openly engaged, like I said before, in financing Al-Qaeda and its affiliates. Yep. So and, the and Sunni blaming, terrorism. Mm-hmm. And this idea of blaming Iran and trying to blame yeah. Iran for some of their own terrible behavior goes back a long time. I mean, I was just remembering while you were talking that the Kobar Towers bombing, apparently one of the first major Al-Qaeda terrorist attacks, happened in 1996. It was targeting a housing complex that a bunch of U.S. Um, Air Force personnel lived in or were staying in at the time. 20 people died, 498 people injured. It was a massive explosion. And Gareth Porter at the time actually did some really good investigative journalism on this and found that the Saudi Arabian government and the CIA were collaborating behind the scenes trying to figure out a way to pin the attacks on Iran at the time, Mm -hmm. even though they knew that it was the work of bin Laden's group. Going back to 1996, they were trying to blame Iran for terrorist attacks done by their own pampered citizens who had silver spoon in their mouth, bin Laden, um, who was part of the biggest construction company in Saudi Arabia. His family owned the biggest construction company in Saudi Arabia. And that actually remains true to this day. Just very strange stuff. And what do you think about just the whole U.S. media talking about the, the new king as this... Uh, human rights champion, the you know lifting the ban on the well, Saudi hilarious. Being able it's hilarious. Obviously, a fucking that. manufactured, paid for propaganda campaign. It's it's the same as that magazine you see in Walmart. That's yeah, just well, more well, obvious yeah. that they paid for that shit and put it in Walmart. So all those reports and news reports about that, that shit was bought and paid for. I don't know exactly how it was done, but it's a PR. It's a PR blast. Yeah, like and and moving on to Qatar. I mean which is supposed to host the World Cup next, and already like hundreds of migrants have died working on this construction for their new stadium for the World Cup. And uh, no one's talking about that. I mean, can you imagine if that was the front page of the papers, like if Venezuela or Russia, let's say Russia was building the Uh new Olympic stadium and like hundreds of people died working on it. What would that be a story or <laughs> it's just like <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's funny how much the media talked about Sochi Olympics and the hotel rooms having weird bathrooms and the water wasn't running properly in some place and they made like a two day long news story about this shit. Yeah, and Hilarious. but I wonder if they'll talk about the mass grave that's gonna be under the shadows of the World Cup players, huh? So let's wrap it up. Just I wanted to talk about Venezuela again because this is a really crazy situation and and there's constantly updates to this. So we explained it on the previous podcast, but just a really brief update. I mean, if people who weren't following this assassination attempt against Maduro, and it's going along with what you're saying about how the mainstream media and, you know, our allies are quick to call or use that false flag or inside job narrative when it suits them and when it serves the Washington consensus, um, but not the other way around. Then you're marginalized as a crazy conspiracy theorist. So On August 4th, uh, the Bolivarian National Armed Guard had an 81st anniversary celebration. Two drones packed with C4 explosives detonated during Maduro's speech. It's really shocking to watch. It injured seven military personnel. So the government immediately found out where they were actually carrying these uh, attacks out from. There was like a van where they caught people who were operating the drones. They arrested dozens of suspects and laid the initial blame 
to Colombia's departing President Manuel Santos in collusion with the opposition, in collusion with agents in Miami. So several of the perps arrested already were, what do you know, involved in these violent Guarimba anti-government insurrections in 2017 and 2014. So every time you hear like, oh, the opposition, they arrest them. There's no, you know, all the people who are running against Maduro are arrested. Like he arrests journalists. Like all these people who are actually arrested are always involved in either like openly calling for his assassination or openly calling for violent coups. And it just is hard to believe. It's like if someone on CNN called to assassinate Trump, it's just a little hard to believe that they wouldn't be arrested for incitement to violence. So really amazing how this just continues to happen. Uh, Again, the U.S. press claimed it was a false flag. Maduro did this to himself, that it was faked, that it was staged. So D.C., Bogota, of course, deny that they had a hand in the assassination. That's a little bit hard to believe considering the following facts. Not only Trump, uh, you know, coming out in documents that Trump was literally begging advisors of when he could invade, um, coming out that John Bolton said he wanted to invade, uh, and coming out of a video of President Santos telling U.S. business leaders that, quote, Maduro's days are numbered and literally calling for the Venezuelan military to remove him from office. I mean, this is the departing president, Manuel Santos, from Colombia. Then you have this Peruvian right-wing pundit named Jaime Bailey on camera saying that he was privy to the plot to assassinate Maduro during a meeting in Miami and promises new conspiracies from Venezuela's ex-military and police. So on top of that insanity... Then you have a USAID presentation in D.C. where Max attended, Max Blumenthal attended, and they said that they handed out these pamphlets from ASCOA, another like Latin American think tanky group that works with USAID. USAID is obviously a regime change front um, that the CIA uses to foment discord in other countries. And so at this presentation, it was very shocking. And mind you, this was three days after the assassination attempt. They distributed newsletters of a dude on the front cover, looked super buff, Venezuelan dude. And the title of the the newsletter is After Maduro, Meet the 10 People Who Will Rebuild Venezuela. So that's weird. It's like, well, Maduro is another six-year term. So did you guys just think the assassination attempt would work and that you already had this all rolled out, ready to go? And then you look at the back of this pamphlet, Robbie, and it's all the same, like sponsored by Lockheed, Chevron, BP. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just nuts. Can you believe that? It's, I mean, I can. Yeah, I can <laughs> believe it completely. And it's actually interesting. If you go to bellingcat.com right now, there's a, there's, they're trying to basically, obviously they approached it with the idea that this was like some kind of false flag you know, mm. but in the end of their quote unquote forensic investigation, because this is not forensic investigation at all, it's total armchair forensics, they determined that there were drones used, they did explode, and Maduro appears to have been completely like naturally reacting to it. So they don't say that it's not a false flag, but I mean, they lay out a lot of evidence actually in this to say that it, it totally happened. Um, there's actually a really interesting video clip. Um, that they show clip one and two. So the original clip broadcast live immediately cut to some B-roll right when the explosion was happening. Do you Have you seen that clip or it just yeah, cuts yeah. to like B-roll? So the actual clip is really interesting because it it's clear that 
like all of his people and him are completely taken by surprise and he gets like covered with almost like like Kevlar sheets and stuff mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. on stage by all of his um his bodyguards. So yeah, I mean it's it's outrageous that that's the me- mainstream media slant on it, but like of course that I mean that's part of the course now. Like you think if someone tried to kill Assad, that's not what they would I mean they would say that right. too. Right. Like if an assassin tried to blow up Assad, they'd be like, "Oh yeah, Assad probably did this shit." Like fuck Assad. Really sad state of affairs that people are not lining up to denounce the U.S.'s clear role in this. And also, even if the U.S. didn't have a clear role, which we know is not the case based on all the facts that I just outlined, but even if that were the case, just the fact that the U.S. has been fomenting regime change and also this violent like incitement constantly from these Guarimba people, the protesters who yeah. were responsible for over half the deaths. I mean, shouldn't we denounce that? Yeah, and then meanwhile, people who are supposedly anti-war on Fox News are calling for regime change in Venezuela, like Tucker Carlson. So, really, this idea that like libertarians are, you know, really good on anti-war when it comes to socialist countries like Venezuela, they don't fucking seem to give a fuck. And actually, they're they're okay with just all this war drum beating against a socialist country because it's socialist. Yeah, and Those back fucking in 1973, commies, dude. Like these people, stupid commies. They are not principled, man. If you believe in the sovereignty of other nations, you should be standing up right now, making a big stink about this regime change creep against Venezuela, just like you are in Yemen, just like you are in Syria. But man, almost every libertarian I see is silent on Venezuela, and it's fucking pathetic. It's just going to be really, really bad because as the opposition has proven time and again, they will try to seize power by undemocratic, violent means, and they will go as far as trying to blow up the entire government with C4 explosives. Um, And, you know, I was just reading this article actually by Seymour Hirsch back in 74, because this was a year after the CIA um, violently installed Pinochet, obviously the leader in Chile, um, mm-hmm. ousting a democratically elected socialist leader, Salvador Allende, who are, there's a lot of similarities between what the economy was like under Allende's term compared to Maduro slash Chavez in Venezuela and what the CIA's dirty tricks did to exacerbate that economic crisis. So I'm reading, you know, on top of Henry Kissinger, who was the secretary of state at the time, um, on top of Kissinger saying our strategy was to make the economy scream in Chile, I was just reading this Seymour Hirsch article about how the CIA also secretly financed all of these striking labor unions and trade groups. So of under course. the banner and auspices of like, you know, leftist organizing who were dissenting against Allende. And, uh, and there was a huge labor scandal under Allende's term that was all came out later. It was all fomented by the CIA. It's unbelievable that people actually are like, oh, like, of course, it's all the U.S.'s fault. What's going on in Venezuela? It's like, no, it's not that cartoonish. But if you are actually not acknowledging the role that the U.S. is playing, then you're being willfully ignorant, dude. Yeah. Or you're a literal. It's not just willfully ignorant. It's like you're literally a propagandist. To me at this point, it's like things have gotten too dire that to be willfully ignorant on something like that and to keep doing stories about it. At a certain point, it's like you are a propagandist. I don't even care what reasoning you have for doing it. Even if you are willfully ignorant, it's like, it's the same effect. You're absolutely. fucking paid shill yeah, for the absolutely. U.S. government. Just like, yeah, these journalists who all uniformly lie, the, the lie is so big once you go to Venezuela, but these people for some reason just continue to tow this false narrative put out by 
um, the U.S. government and because they just believe in American exceptionalism. That's why they're rewarded with these journalism jobs. And that's why, you know, if you ask them point blank, they would be like, I'm not lying. I'm not self-censoring. Just like Piers Morgan told me, I don't self-censor. Unbelievable. And then here's so, so Maduro was like, hey, can you extradite these terrorists who helped plot this assassination attempt against me? And um, and here's the the you know, not only did we deny that, like that we had any role and stuff, but they were also like scoffed at this notion, of course, because we're talking about a country that harbored Luis Posada. This was a Cuban national who was uh, given safe harbor in Miami until the day he died. He was responsible for the bombing of a fucking airliner. Uh, that killed dozens of civilians, including children. So of course we're not going to extradite these people who we helped plot this, but the U.S. State Department spokesperson Heather Norit accused the Venezuelan government of arbitrary detention, violating parliamentary immunity, and the use of torture to extract confessions. That's like the statement that they put out after this assassination attempt. So in response, the foreign minister Jorge Arizara on Twitter said, Venezuela is not the country that has planted around the world illegal detention centers where information is sought to extract detainees using methods recognized around the world as torture. Likewise, Venezuela is not the country that indefinitely detains immigrants in detention centers or that has reached the point of separating children from their parents, leading (laughs) them not only to emotional trauma and the systematic violation of their rights, but also exposing them to atrocities such as sexual abuse and even the forced consumption of psychotropic substances. Nice. I love it. It's like, yeah, dude. I mean, yeah, Venezuela is not the one who has 800 military bases around the world. It's like shooting fish into a barrel to to basically respond to the U.S. in any way now because it's just like we're so fucking fucked of a country. It's just like, dude, you look at you guys. Are you freaking going to talk to us that way? Like, I really miss Chavez so much. I was just like watching a a speech that he gave the other day. It was just incredible. And I'm really happy that Maduro is continuing this hard line against the U.S. and not letting them, you know, get away with this empty rhetoric because – you know, he just had an assassination attempt against his life. I just would like to see more leaders stand up in opposition, denouncing vocally what's going on. And it's again, really it's important. just a really yeah. crazy world that we're living in. So as another update to the whole U.S. attacks on Venezuela, uh, U.S. sanctions officially have shut down uh, production of the Empire Files. So, yeah, I mean, for people who have been following both shows, you know that the Empire Files has been often sporadic. And just we haven't produced anything recently. And that's because we have run out of funds and the sanctions have been exacerbated so much on Venezuela that we've actually uh, had no ability to receive any payments coming in and out of Caracas. And even though Telesor is funded by other Latin American countries, they've also blocked the ability to fund the operations through any of those partnering countries. So again, just completely seizing Venezuela's ability to operate and also just amidst the attacks on voices that really challenge U.S. imperialism in the region under the radar against Telesur, another network that counters this narrative of regime change. The U.S. wants to reinstall hegemony in this region, and Telesur is definitely a barrier to that. That's why it was created, to challenge this kind of propaganda. This is part and parcel with just a trend of regime change projects in Venezuela since Hugo Chavez, as I talk about often. Amazingly, though, um, what I didn't learn, and I want to post this article right now in the timeline that really takes you through what's going on a little bit more and how you can actually support the Empire Files uh, continue production, which I've been completely overwhelmed by the amount of support so far. It's been really incredible to receive. 
in this Media Roots article, it talks about how even though the Bush administration was part of this coup against Hugo Chavez back in 2002, they didn't slap sanctions on Venezuela. Sanctions were not implemented on Venezuela until the Obama administration in 2015. So that was interesting. Remember when Obama declared Venezuela like a, a unique national security threat just out of the fucking blue? And then the Trump administration took the sanctions to new heights, the most recent escalation of which came right after President Maduro was democratically reelected. So now the U.S. sanctions on Venezuela are the worst sanctions on any country in the region since those in Nicaragua in the 1980s, um, according to Mark Weisbrot from the Center for Economic and Policy Research. I heard him talking about this on the Real News Network. You know, this was when the Reagan administration was waging a full-blown bloody war against Nicaragua. So again, the poor and working class people of Venezuela are the most impacted by the sanctions, not just against corrupt government officials. It's preventing food and medicine from reaching the most poor and vulnerable people in Venezuela. Of course, this is coming right after all of these bizarre censorship warnings um, for Telesaur's content online on YouTube, the backpaging of the Google algorithm, uh, the random removals from both Venezuela Analysis and Telesaur on Facebook. So we can only expect this to continue. And, um, you know, it, it's costly work. One of the things that we're trying to get donations for is just this documentary that we've been talking about, about Gaza. And the footage alone cost $6,000. So just to give you kind of an insight on how much this costs. So you can donate um, on GoFundMe. We have a $50,000 goal that we're trying to reach here to continue production for as long as that will last. We also have a Patreon and I know that I asked for appeals on Patreon for Media Roots Radio, too. So sorry for the naked appeal for donations. But yeah, um, anyone who likes the Empire Files, I thought that I'd explain what's going on here since it's been out. It looks like Trump is really shifting his gears toward Latin America. It seems like during the Bush administration, uh, a lot of these people who have been filtering in and out of the government are angry that during Bush, all the focus was on the Middle East, you know, and mm -hmm. Latin America was actually able to flourish with the pink tide and all these progressive movements that erupted. And yeah, it's becoming definitely reactionary now. Yeah. But I think that they're really wanting to reinstate hegemony over the region. And I think Trump is hyper-focused on that, which should really greatly disturb everyone. Very yeah. much so. I mean, the Middle East has been obliterated by the U.S., continues to be on a daily basis. But yeah, this region of the world, there are definitely still independent leaders um, like Ortega, like Maduro. Uh, and, you know, what's happening in Ecuador is really disturbing, too. Using Assange as this pawn um, and, and Moreno is totally folded under pressure. So, And Trump has a particular hatred for brown-skinned Spanish-speaking people, too. Yeah. I mean, you thought he hated Muslims? Well, I mean, he also hates, um, you know, Mexicans and probably by proxy anyone who speaks Spanish and looks like a Mexican. So you're telling me that he actually respects the people of South America? Hell no. He probably looks at them as animals just like he looks at MS-13 or, or, you know, whoever else he talks about. So... They're taking our jobs, Abby. Even though oh, if we man. actually like deported every single illegal immigrant, um, there would be like nobody doing like all these service jobs and our economy would collapse. So uh, we're about to do later this month. Check it out. We're going to release a special bonus Patreon little mini ep for our donors. Just about some fun stuff, movies, TV, music, stuff like that. So, yeah, stay tuned for that. 
Um, donate to Patreon even a dollar a month to get access to that exclusive content. Um, but like we said before, we're always going to release the news-centric heavy episodes for free because, uh, because of course, you know, we want information to be free. So um, check out our previous podcasts. They've been doing really good. We appreciate all your support. We appreciate you sharing the love. And we definitely need the help because of this insane, egregious crackdown on social media and these crazy tech companies. So help us out. Yeah. Go to patreon.com slash Radio. Thanks so much, you guys, for listening. Let us know what you think on the SoundCloud timeline. Uh, rate us on iTunes. And yeah, hit us up on social media and let us know what you think while our accounts still exist. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good one. Oh, and one more thing I wanted to say. You can email me at abby, A-B-B-Y, at theempirefiles.tv if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or if you just want to leave a little voice memo uh, that you want us to play on future episodes. Thanks so much, guys. Peace. Peace.